0: Welcome to the Farmer Sense Podcast. I think last time Andrew said he wanted us to change it up a bit, so uh, we'll call me Andrew Fuff this time. Foof. <laughs> Andrew Foof. Yeah. And uh, you can be Rick Willer. Is that a good I, change up for you? I don't know. Yeah, I, could, I can do that. I'm a lot <laughs> cooler and I feel cooler already. <laughs> okay. Either way, it's Rick and Andrew again.
1: Again. And this is Farmer Sense Podcast. So, All right, Rick, what'd you do this week? I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you up early before you get to it. Dentist appointment. Oh, those are always fun. It was. It's been five years.
0: Isn't Ooh. that is absolutely? It's it's almost disgusting. Used to go every six months, and then COVID happened, and I don't didn't go during that time, and then the dentist never rescheduled me, so I just kept putting it off. It was like, screw it. You know, I floss, I brush twice a day, whatever, but. um Five years is a long time. Yep. <laughs> very, very nice dental hygienist girl cleaning my teeth, took x rays. She's like, Oh, you do have a lot of plaque buildup on your teeth, don't you? And I was like, Yeah, I figured as much. And never knew this before, but apparently that plaque can get down below your gums and then that can eat away at the bone. And she was telling me all this stuff. It was very nice to know because I had no idea. And my mom and dad always said, That's like the one thing you get that you need to keep you know, and I've always been great. I, I I didn't have any cavities. Um, usually I don't, I don't drink pop or anything like that. I haven't drank pop probably in five years, but, um, anyway, (laughs) so the dentist office has been remodeled. Of course, I don't know what yours is like, but ours has a television. So like the price is right, which I can't stand that show now, but that was on. And, um, you miss some you know, Bob Barker. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I do. I'm not a Drew Carey fan. I'm sorry. Yeah. I just, I, his show was great back in the 90s when he like kind of first came out and it was kind of funny, but yeah, <laughs> I could care less about him now. And, uh, but yeah, anyway, so I'm looking up and I always close my eyes and I opened them. And of course, like she's right in my face cause I heard something on the TV and I wanted to see what it was. And, and then I was like, so do you ever get like weirdos that just keep their eyes open and just stare into your eyes the whole time? <laughs> 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 and she said, yeah, some people do that a lot and it's very uncomfortable. She, she's like, I used to have shaded, like they wear those safety glasses now or whatever. She's yeah. like, I used to have tinted or shaded ones so they couldn't see my eyes. But yeah, she's like, you get the occasionals that just keep their eyes open and just stare at me the whole time. And it's very uncomfortable. I was like, well, I thought of that because I opened my eyes to look at the TV and then you were there. And I didn't want you to think that I was like creeping on you or something. Nope. <laughs> she just laughed. She's like, no, not at all. But
1: now, now I'm having an awkward moment trying to figure out what do I do? I remember I like stare at the light like straight up above like on the yeah, ceiling. I used to do that, and I'll close my eyes too. But I I know I don't stare them in the face unless they're talking to me. But yeah, boy, now I now I'm nervous if they think I'm staring at them if I'm just staring straight at the ceiling. I think they can tell. Okay. I, I mean you. I mean.
0: I can tell now if I'm looking in your eyes or looking at me. Right. And, and so, yeah, there's <laughs> definitely a difference back and forth. So I'm sure they can tell, but
1: yeah, I'm just a tool anyway. So they I could look at this tool. Look yeah. This tool.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I wasn't very clean shaven or fancy looking myself. Plus I, I showed up there like one minute before the appointment and it, it turned out it was great. My dad was there as well. <laughs> nice. And, uh, my mom had a physical therapy appointment. She's been going for that, you know, to help with her walking and stuff. And she had to go, it was at 11 o'clock. And so all of a sudden they're like, Rick, you have a visitor. I was like, what? And here comes my mom walking into the, to the, the the room I was in. she's like, Rick, can you, can you take your dad home? Because I'm going to, I'm going to be late for my appointment. I was like, Oh Yeah. I thought it was like a like something bad happened, you know. Right. But like, yeah, no problem. So <laughs> got to take dad home and I had Ava on the pickup with me, so he was oh. excited to see her. <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Fun times at the dentist, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Always gotta have a story when I go to the dentist. Oh, and then <laughs> I can add a little bit to it. So like five or six years ago, my the dental doctor, I don't know what you call him. Dental hygienist? No, that's the girl that cleans, isn't it? Oh, okay. I, think, I don't know. I'm not gonna like call I'm you not, out I'm for not, not knowing. I thought the girl or the man or whoever that cleans your teeth is that, and but then they're like the DDS or I don't know what their thing is behind their anyway. Yeah. He comes in, he looks like he's 12, and I haven't seen him for five years. And five years ago, when I saw him, I remember I said. Wow, you're really young. Am I your first ever patient? <laughs> and he'll never forget that. So when he was in uh, this time, I said, "Yeah, last time I saw you were like 18. I think I was your first patient." <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah," he's like, "I remember that." He's like, "I think I've had about two thousand since you, so I have a little bit of you know, a little bit of experience now." I was like, yeah. "Okay, thank God."
1: But that's funny. <laughs> yeah. So
0: Good times. First I like time. I like to give everybody a hard time when I see them.
1: Me too. (laughs) So what'd you do this week? Super exciting stuff, as you know. Um, Let's see. Hauled some grain that isn't worth much. So that was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Had some contracted grain. Um, Let's see. Going to Houston, you know, so this is going to be released the week after. We're in Houston, so... Kind of cleaning stuff up in the office on the other job side to do that. Working on carbon credits. So a lot of office time, boring stuff Uh that I don't want to do.
0: Yeah, I did some of that. I'm still working on um, finalizing. So I got Willard Agar sales and my personal stuff updated on QuickBooks. Now I have to do Mom and Dad's. Willard Farms, that ends the end of February. So I got a little while to do that one yet, but I was trying to get everything reconciled. Nothing better when you're reconciling your QuickBooks is when you put the date or, you know, the end date, the amount, and you click on start reconcile, and it says there's a big green check mark that says done. And you're like, oh, thank God everything's right. And I went through everything and it was perfect every single time. So I was very happy I didn't have to there's times where like some you of my suck. <laughs> Yeah. Well sometimes my bank information like it'll like skip a month where it didn't load in and then you have to manually put it in. Yep. Like, why this month, you know? And Yeah.
1: But Or two weeks missing. Yep. Yep. I have had that. I, I don't know that I've ever clicked the reconcile button and have it come green check mark on the first time. I'm just not as good as you. Hmm. I always have some little issue or I'll transpose some numbers or something stupid. Most of the time it's a transfer. If I'm transferring between like a different account.
0: Yeah. Yes. So I, I'm going to have that problem more now since I do uh, have a checking account at one bank, but my um, line of credit, Jeez, oh. I couldn't think of that word. My line of credits at, at farm credit. So yeah, mm-hmm. now everything be kind of different too, but farm, farm credit's pretty easy to work with as far as, you know, you write check, it just comes right out of your line of credit anyway. So
1: that's nice. Yep. Yep. I've worked with farm credit for quite a while and I I enjoy working with them too, but it's something exciting that we'll maybe talk about, you know, the next podcast. Cause my banker, I was talking to him yesterday about a deal I'm working on and he goes, I said, well, I'm going to be gone next week. And he's like, Oh, where are you going? I said, Houston. He goes, no shit. He goes, I have a client that's taking bowls down to the rodeo that's down there. And he is going to, he invited me to come down and get behind the scenes and all this VIP stuff and be behind the the shoots and whatever. He goes, I told him I was kind of too busy. I said, well, you should come down. I said, I'll take you around to the Commodity Classic and invite and introduce you into people that I know. He goes, well, crap. Because I might have to do that now that I have two people down there. Yeah, and then he can take us out for supper. (laughs) That would be great. Yeah, I'll I'll make sure to hit him up. (laughs) Yeah, well,
0: anybody listening, if they want to, they can. That's no problem. Otherwise, I'm just going to go back to my room and save all the money I can. Well, no, we have to drink beer. I forgot about that part. But, yeah, I can just not eat food. A couple old
1: fashions will be fine.
0: Yep, yep, there you go. Low Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so
1: yeah, the podcast this week we have a great guest. You want to talk about
0: him, Andy Campbell with Tractor Zoom. Andy, I went. I went to school with him. Uh, he was in my class in high school. He's done very well for himself. He's uh, he's done a, a lot, and you'll get to hear about that. He works with Tractor Zoom, which is uh, well, you'll hear about that too. But it's a <laughs> a, a website that you can find out how much a tractor's worth and. Uh, auction prices all sorts of
1: stuff so definitely i, I thought it was really interesting where you talk about you can put your equipment in there and see what it's worth and keep track of it yep. that's what i thought was in it but great great interview with him great mm-hmm. podcast hope everybody enjoys it for sure yeah okay so
0: here we go everybody enjoy the podcast with andy campbell from tractor zoom hey andy how are you doing
2: Good, Rick. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Andy, I guess I didn't ask you before, but you are the director of insights with Tractor Zoom, is that correct? I have that going on the bottom of the screen. I usually ask people ahead of time to make yeah. sure that's right or doesn't need to be changed or edited.
2: Yeah, no, it's official now. If it's down there, that's well, yeah. They have-
0: yeah, so you're probably going to get a raise now or something, right? I hope. Yes. <laughs> so, so Andy, not Andrew. We'll make sure everybody knows all this when you're listening. But Andy was a good friend of mine in high school; still is. We just don't see each other as often. Once in a while, he'll come back home for for church, and I'll see him. But um, Andy and I grew up together, played sports together. Uh, he's come back to to have more of a role in the farm. Is that is that correct? Yep. Uh, yeah, very funny story. So we're just hanging out after football practice downtown and throwing a football around in the park. And I led Andy perfect for this this pass, and he caught it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but when he turned around, it's not. It's funny now. I'm sorry. It was. We were all we were all freaking out when it happened. But he just wham faced it right into the corner. And I don't know if anybody else is familiar, but, you know, all the parks always had these little jails in them. I I don't know why. It seemed like every park we had in our hometowns had had these little steel jails that you could lock people into, and you didn't really lock Mm -hmm. it. But, yeah, he just smacked right into the corner of that, split his top. You still got the scar? Andy, oh, yeah,
2: yeah. start running right down there. So
0: oh, Andy is reminded of me daily when he <laughs> looks in the mirror. I, <laughs> hey,
2: watch out for that.
0: Yeah, I hope it's only good thoughts, not all the bad ones. But yeah, um, no. <laughs> anyway, I I just had to bring that up because that's that's just one of those those good memories we had, and of course playing sports together as well, and just knowing your family and and everything. So yeah, I'm yeah. glad you could. Glad you could be on here. It's awesome, and I'm I'm really excited for what you've been doing with just your career in general. would Would you like to give just a background before we get into Tractor Zoom, like where you've been and how you got to this point?
2: Sure. Yeah, I'll take it a few years past, like sitting in the ER getting stitched up there. (laughs) Okay. Just a couple (laughs) years past that. Uh, So, anyways, yeah, my undergrad degree was actually chemical engineering, and uh, I remember, you know, still back up in northern Iowa working with dad on the farm. And one thing that he told me at the time, and again, we're talking late nineties here, uh, not the best time in the farm economy. And he's just like, there's no money in this business. Like you go to college and you don't come home. And it's just one of those things I remember him telling me. And, and I think I might've been complaining about the fact that I had to do all that work and and I wasn't getting paid for it. And he's like, that's why I'm not paying you just so you leave and don't come back. And uh, so So yeah, I went away uh, for a degree in chemical engineering and it was good. Uh, I worked with Cargill and I worked with General Mills. And so, you know, kind of in the ag industry more further down the supply chain a little bit. And uh, it was good. I liked it, it was good problem solving, good challenges. But one of the things I didn't like, and I didn't really think about this when I was back there choosing what to do for life is I was inside all the time. I mean, hard hat, uh, steel toe boots, which is fine, but you're inside of a plant time. And uh, that I did not like. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so did that for a little while. And then I went back and actually uh, went to the MBA program at Iowa. Uh, I wanted to get a little bit more in business, essentially to just open up doors and try to figure out, you know, more opportunity to do. And, uh, and everybody, you know, has heard of Caitlin Clark uh, for Iowa Women's Basketball. But before her it was actually me. Uh, (laughs) And uh, in a really, you know, roundabout way, I had in undergrad, I had met and uh, worked with the Iowa women's basketball coaches, mm-hmm. and when I came back to grad school, uh, I found out that I could use my grad assistantship and actually help them out. And so I was like their marketing grad assistant, but I also got to help them coach. Uh, and nice. a great experience, great phenomenal coaches. Um, but by doing that for a couple of years, then when I graduated from the MBA program, I had you know a business degree and uh, background in ops, but then I had this coaching bit on the side. And so my first job out of there led to Central College down in Pella, where I was a professor and a basketball coach. And, and that's in a roundabout way. This is leading to Tractor Zoom, even though it's not straight at all. Yeah, no, uh, keep going. There and I, yeah. I, well, I, we like stories. Oh, good. Well, <laughs> I got plenty okay, Uh good. And they hopefully make sense later. But yeah, so I, I coached and taught. And I was down there at Central College for about eight years. Had some great students come through good experiences. Academia though, is uh, it's a crazy world. And it's like rolling that stone up the mountain in that old Greek myth. And then you get to the top and then you start all over again. And that's what every single semester is like. You work with students and then all of a sudden you have a new batch and you work with students. And uh, a lot of red tape within academia and a lot of bureaucracy type of stuff. Not exactly the place I wanted to be. And coincidentally enough, I was back in front of a computer and back inside again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but when I did all that, uh, I was still involved in sports, heavy into analytics at that point in time, just love spreadsheets. And I had a classmate from undergrad or actually from the, from grad school, from MBA. Uh, he was starting a sports analytics company and he needed a marketing director that understood sports. He understood analytics. Uh, and so I helped him launch what was then impact athletics. And we actually got seed round funding. We went out and won a pitch competition at MIT. We were at the NFL combine and it was just like, holy crap, like this wow. stuff can actually work. You can launch a company. <laughs> and, uh, so it was crazy because I was doing that and teaching at the same time. And then it got to be, you know, enough momentum. You're like, I'm going to roll the dice. Like this is worth trying. And so I left uh, academia and I went and did that. And we were, you know, like I said, at the NFL combine, I think I was actually flying out to either MIT or we met with the Notre Dame coaching staff and the NFL combine all in one like big East coast trip. Uh, And I got a call from a headhunter for an international food company that I'd never heard of. Like I had to legitimately Google this company because am it real or am I being scammed? Mm -hmm. Uh, But anyways, it was a really nice deal uh, and also had a family. So this paid well versus a startup, which is, you know, (laughs) it's a gamble, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up going with the international food company for about two years and a really good experience. A lot of great travel. They're based over in Luxembourg. And uh, some great people and experiences there. But then after a couple of years of that, I realized, like, you know, I'm touching a small bit. I was marketing director for them, and, you know, that's what I was doing. I had a team, but I'm like, I wanna do more. I wanna use the, the background that I've got in operations. I wanna use my data analytics skill. I wanna help with the whole business. Uh, we we're slightly tied to the ag industry, but pretty remotely. It was a small part of the business, and the, we tested corn, um, but that was about it. And so what I did is I ended up moving to, They're launching essentially my own business. And then I was a consultant uh, for about four years with a partner up in the Twin Cities and we would just help companies launch mostly in the food industry. But, and this gets back to the Tractor Zoom side, that uh, one of my former students that I stayed in really good contact with, he and I would have lunch like every six months. He was doing well up in the Des Moines area and he came for lunch one time. He's going to have a baby. And so we're kind of talking about entering into fatherhood. and, uh, And then he's like, and I think I want to quit my good job and go work for a startup. And I'm like, wait a second. Uh, but he, you know, very talented salesperson. And, uh, and so he started explaining in this company, this tractor zoom company to me. And so I just followed him, followed their progress on LinkedIn. And through that process, I noticed that they had hired a marketing person. And then two weeks later, they were trying to hire another marketing person. And then two weeks later, they're trying to hire another one. So I, I called him up and I said, Hey, you know, what's the deal? Like you, are you just rehiring the same position? And (laughs) he's like, we can't get it to stick. He said, we're looking for this, but we're kind of, we're not quite getting what we need out of this position. So I actually went there and I'm not looking for a position at all. I was just going to give him advice and see if I could help out a startup and sat down Mm -hmm. with Kyle, uh, the CEO, Mm -hmm. and just said, here, here's what I would do. In my experience of B2B marketing uh, within knowing the ag industry, like here's how it approaches situation right now. And here's why I think you're not getting a marketing person to stick. He called me probably a, a month or two later and he's like, what would it take for you to do what you told me to do? <laughs> and, uh, and then the kind of the rest is history. I, I hopped on board and at first I was just doing a little bit of marketing for them, but then they, I think I was maybe number eight on the totem pole kind of when okay. they started, there wasn't many people who were in a garage in Urbandale area. And then now we're at like 55 maybe. And I think we're adding five more people next week. Uh, and so it's, it's grown uh, really fast. And so, yeah, the wow. growth trajectory of the company is cool. And to the point where sometime in this past year, I shuttered my own business and said, okay, I'm going to, you know, join this tractor zoom journey full time uh, and give it everything I've got, which has been a good move because allows me to focus. And now it allows me to be in the ag industry a lot deeper and work with you know, farmers, dealers, Uh, credits, you know, anchors, it's just been a a really good move.
0: Did you say it was started in a garage?
2: Pretty much. I mean, it was, uh, Amazon
0: story here.
2: (laughs) The, uh, I think gravitate was the first like ecosystem it's down in Des Moines, but I mean, we're talking like tiny little co-shared office. And then their first real office was, yeah. in in an industrial garage had big garage doors that could open up, um, had, you know, Things I remember about it: one bathroom that was essentially shared for a bunch of people, mm-hmm. uh, throw a football around when everybody got bored inside of the garage, mm-hmm. and uh, didn't hit in jail. Yeah, signs. be careful. <laughs> be careful of the surroundings. <laughs> exactly. Yep, learned that lesson early. And uh, but yeah, it was. I mean, since then we've moved you know, two other times, and now we've got a, a suite office in West Des Moines uh, that's kind of tricked out in a farm theme. Uh, but it's cool. yeah, started from some pretty simple beginnings.
0: Yeah, no, that that's awesome. So uh in, in twenty seventeen that was the initial founding by Kyle, correct? Is that when you was it twenty seventeen when you went and visited with them or later?
2: No. It was I think I had talked to him first in late twenty nineteen. Okay. And uh really twenty seventeen was Kyle and a couple other guys that laid the groundwork and just said, okay, is this viable? They were running pitch competitions, just, just trying to see like, does this thing have legs? And I think they were told multiple times by many of our current clients even now, we're like, not needed in the marketplace. Like, what you guys are offering, it's already taken care of. You know, There's just no future ahead of you. Uh, yeah. And they did a nice job. I'd say one of the best things that Kyle does, and then it's really you know, cascaded throughout the whole organization, is everybody's really good at listening. But at the same time, thinking critically to the side of, okay, why are they telling us no? And what is it that truly the customers need, and if we keep at this, knowing that we're a data company, we're not like an advertising company, we're not trying to do sales, uh, that can we build up enough data to help them solve the problem? Mm-hmm. And so yeah, we've had I can't tell you how many customers we had that we have now that at that time in 2017, or even 2018 and 2019, that were telling us just like, this is not a thing uh, that are we're now helping on a daily basis. Awesome.
1: So you talked about how you got to Tractor Zoom. What is Tractor Zoom exactly?
2: Yeah, good question. It's um, so a lot of people might look at it and say, you know, it's like Tractor House, uh, and it is an online marketplace for farmers to find equipment. But it's really differentiated from a few of the other ones out there. Where yes, we you know collect a lot of the auction uh, potential out there, a lot of the dealership listings that are out there, all in one place. But what we wanted to really do was, first of all, we're not an advertising company, so we don't charge auctioneers, dealers, or farmers for any of that that goes on. Oh, wow. We, yeah, we want everything to be completely free, and, and not just for the sense of being free, but we just don't want um, any inhibition when anybody's trying to either post stuff or buy stuff. Hmm. We want it to be really good quality because that quality and data matters, which we'll get to later. But, yeah, we, we essentially want the farmers to be able to freely see everything that's out there, and find it quickly too. Uh, and we noticed what we are hearing in the marketplaces, some of the other sites are challenging to try to get to or try to navigate and sort through. And we also know that, you know, farmers at times are really busy and then can't simply just be on their phone watching for things. So we wanted to see how we might be able to help that process through automation, through smart navigation and now uh, AI with something. And, uh, and yeah, so we really wanted to differentiate that, but we are an online marketplace for farmers to find the heavy machinery that they need for their operation.
0: Yeah, great. Yeah. I'm going to – for if we get this put on YouTube, I've been having so many screw-ups lately with video. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to post – I'm going to put your website up here for any YouTube uh, viewers if we do get it to that point. But, um, yeah, I think Andrew had another question or follow-up.
1: Well, you, you kind of answered some of it, you know, what makes you – different or better than some of the other machinery trader websites out there. I mean, yeah. I'm interested to hear how you're using
2: AI a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's cool. And it, it's, I mean, we're, you know, we've got a kind of an ethos that we had to set up just to make sure that we're using it for good. Uh, but it's, uh, it's crazy on how fast and how good this AI business is. But I'll, I'll start kind of back at the beginning. Uh, so yeah, we want to make sure that the, the user interface is really clean and easy to navigate. Uh, so that's kind of first and foremost, but we also kind of considered that just table stakes. Like you have to, you know, be comparable with an Amazon now or an iPhone. Like you yeah. can't be a 1990s type of website uh, and, you know, and really offer value. So that's one thing we want to do. We want to be transparent. So we're big on pictures. We pull in all the pictures so people can easily browse through those. and find Very, them. very
0: important. I hate it right. when there's no pictures and I hate it when they say call the dealer. For price, Uh, I know.
2: (laughs) Anyway, sorry. We we actually ran a study on our data scientists ran a study on quality of pictures, and we noticed that machinery on uh, dealership slots sits for longer if it has no pictures, and even if it has poor pictures. Uh, And so, we've built something for our dealerships that flags them and says, "Hey, this is likely to age just simply because you have poor picture quality." Mm -hmm. But. Getting to the differentiation part, Andrew, that you're talking about too, is, uh, you know, with all this data that we have, we said, okay, how can we do this one step further and, and help the farmer? So we have saved searches in there as well. And I use this actually to f- buy a, a seed tender because we upgraded our planner to a DB60 a couple of years ago. And then, like many things, when you upgrade, then you realize, oh well, well, crap, now our, our tractor's is not strong enough to pull it, or yeah. seed tender is not quite tall enough to be able to reach it. And so in this particular sense, we needed a seed tender. And I just went on there and said, okay, I need these specs on my seed tender. I created a profile, which is free, just logged in and gave it my email address. And then said, okay, whenever within, I think it put like a 250 mile radius, yep. one of these times available, shoot me an email. And then, so, cause I think when I was searching at the time, there was nothing available that we needed. And went in there and got an email a week later when something was available ended up knowing the dealer uh, out in Nebraska uh, that was selling it. And so we worked, we ended up not even needing to buy that particular one, but it was nice that I didn't have to constantly go and search through auction sites or dealer sites to be able to find exactly what I was looking for. I knew it was saved. I knew it would alert me when one popped up. Uh, And so, yeah, so the saved search is kind of our first movement into helping the farmer do that one next thing. So they don't have to constantly be looking. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that we do, uh, that I kind of like now, especially just being more on the data nut side, is uh, we have equipment lists in there too. So farmers can go in, and I've gone in and put in all of our equipment for our farm.
0: Yeah, I did that earlier when I was waiting for you guys to um, come on board. Yeah, I put a couple, put the combine and the grain cart that I thought I got the best deals on and looked up, and turns out I did.
2: So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's a good feeling, isn't it? Yeah, it the, is. Uh, yeah. yeah, our latest combine, and I, I was telling my dad this too, because we ended up buying a, a 9870 STS, almost like a, a redundant or a duplicate combine, just so we could potentially run two, but also at the same time, just so we had parts that we'd share back and forth. Oh, yeah. And, and I know he wanted to buy it then, and, and at the time we got a decent deal on it, but class eight combines kind of tanked uh, this past year. And so now I'm looking at these new prices, and like, man, we had held out a year, <laughs> <laughs> probably been a much better situation yeah but yeah you can put your whole equipment list in there and you know you can take that to your banker for um, you know when you have your renewal season meetings, whether it's for you know operating loan or collateral that you need to use for another type of loan, and then we also honestly use it a little bit for succession planning trying to figure out you know it's pretty easy to figure out the value of the land but then also what's the value of a fleet of equipment what percent do you own because we also share it uh, some of it at least back and forth so you can toggle on some percents and then at least I have an updated value of like here's what our fleet is worth right now, you know, in the event something were to happen tomorrow or when we plan for something to you know happen in the future, here's an idea of the amount of money that I need to either come up with or we need to transfer ownership of uh, for the equipment. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, so I used to sell machinery. I used to work for mm-hmm. McRoberts implement and green. It's now McRoberts red power. Uh, it I, believe it's the only red power that goes by a name instead of the town. And probably mm-hmm. because the name of the town is green and they didn't want it to be green, <laughs> red power.
2: <laughs> I never thought about that, but yeah. Yep. That is-
0: <laughs> yeah. So they named it. It's a, it was a three generation uh, dealership in Iowa. It was one of the last uh, single owned dealerships when red power purchased it. Oh, wow. So I, I kind of went through the transition, but. So when I was working there, we always used to get this really fat book. I think it was from iron search or something every month and it wasn't cheap. It was pretty expensive. Matter of fact, uh, John McRoberts was the, the owner and, and he'd only get one because it cost so much. So then he'd hand down the expired one to us salespeople. Wow. Yeah, but so whenever we wanted to know something, we had to go to his, his office and grab the book off his desk, and then we'd have it. And then he'd yell at us for not getting it back to him or whatever. But it was kind of funny. But I just I can't imagine what this would would have been worth to me, or how this would have sped up so many deals or phone calls that I had to make to other. You know, I'd have to call a uh, the New Holland dealer if they're if we were getting a New Holland trade. I'd call a John Deere dealer if we're getting John Deere, you know, because you, you don't deal with those companies enough to know what it's worth, and they'd call us, vice versa, but to have this back then, that would have been great. So I, I just I see so many good things from TractorZoom, and I'm sure you guys do too, and you, I'm sure this isn't the first time you've heard this.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, but that's good validation to hear. Cause I actually just was in Carroll yesterday. I was meeting with uh, Van Wall's used equipment manager mm-hmm. and uh, we were going through and he was showing us his repricing process and, and how he kind of manages his inventory. And yeah, it's kind of the same thing. He had one screen up that had tractor zoom and we have tractor zoom pro, which our dealers use. Okay, uh, And it's the same thing where, you know, if it's something green for him, that he kind of knows what the value is. He's pretty familiar as long as it's a high volume item. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's all those off color items uh, that he's. I don't deal with this one nearly enough, but it just type in the name of it, the specs. And all of a sudden you've got all these different comparables and you can quickly go through and say, okay, these six are good comparables that happened within the last six months. Here's where I think the, the good trade in price is going to be. And so, I mean, he can do that within 30 to 60 seconds. Uh, Saving him a bunch of time.
0: Yeah, I noticed it. It's almost like a Kelly Blue Book type. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah definitely. Uh, go ahead, Andrew. Oh, okay, <laughs> sorry. So. <laughs> yeah, I know that was. I thought I was going to segue into another question. I apologize, but I was uh, going to go to
1: the next one. So no, like, oh, no, because
0: okay. I it kind of answered that. I was I was going to say so. It's not just for dealers, which it isn't, mm-hmm. which we kind of right. spoke about. You know,
2: one thing. I should mention though, cause we did talk a lot about dealers. Um, but we work with, you know, on the tractor zoom pro, which is kind of our, our B2B side. And, and a lot of people honestly will ask us like, so if it's free for the, the dealers to list the stuff, it's free for auctioneers to list it it's free for farmers and all the safe searches, all that stuff's always free. And how does the business actually make money? Um, <laughs> uh, and so, but since we're a data company, we just ingest all the data of, you know, if an S780 sold last weekend at auction, it had like 660 step hours on it and all these other different stats. All that is just collected. And so we understand as that at one data point what that's worth at that point in time. And you continue to collect this on everything, then you can start to understand the direction that the market's going. You can understand different categories. And so we started with just auction data, uh, you know, in 2017. 2021, we started working with dealers on collecting the dealer uh, list information. And we've grown now, It's tough to estimate exactly, but we have well over 50% of the overall equipment supply we think in the United States, probably closer to 65, maybe 70%. And so now we understand a good idea of the supply that's flowing in and out of certain regions by class of combines, by horsepower size. And so now we can help people like dealerships, but also farm credits make decisions based on supply in the market. If there's oversupply, we'd expect prices to come down a little bit. And that's a lot of what I get to do is I'll pull up graphs. And I'll start to see supply peaking, but then I'll see how price responds to it. And so I can help talk to dealers or farm credits, insurance agents uh, out there, FSAs all across the United States who work with every state there and uh, kind of just give them a a heads up on, hey, this is a high risk item. Like, you know, the bubble might be about to pop or, and right now it's not popping, but it is dropping. And so, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's what we can do. And then we turn around and help them make decisions you know, on valuations, on supply, and then we can kind of get into what's coming next uh, later. But, but, yeah, you can do a lot with data. It scales well.
0: Yeah, so I had a question. I just forgot what the heck it was. I'm not joking. That was a very good explanation. You had me so focused on what you were talking about that I completely forgot the next question.
1: But uh, So so I have a question. Yeah, please. So let's say as, as a farmer, <laughs> and I'm looking for a piece of equipment. And can I, and I can put it in there, say I'm looking for a tractor. Will it kind of give me that, that same graph per se to say, okay, this tractor market might be softening here or the bubble might, can I see that as a farmer as well?
2: Uh, you know, if you go to tractor zoom pro, I'll I'll blog, you know, Rick can probably attest that I was probably sitting next to him in English class and not paying attention either. So I am not the most either. (laughs)
0: He's, he's saying that I wasn't paying attention and he wasn't either. Did you notice that anyway?
2: You're right. You're right. Go on. That is correct. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, but anyways, no, I will do a lot of videos, uh, blogs and stuff. And we'll put that on TractorZoomPro.com because it tends to be the dealers in the uh, farm credits that follow that, and on Tractor Zoom we have a blog as well, but I, I tend not to write on there as much. But anyways, on on there you can't necessarily see the supply, but like I said, it, I do write about it on the Tractor Zoom Pro uh, blog side of it, and then I'll do you know podcasts like this fairly often, talking about which direction we see the market going due to oversupply and stuff. Uh, I guess my question to you guys then, from a, a farmer standpoint, what is interesting to see? You know, if you're going to go you know, read content, listen to content about the equipment market. For you guys, like what's intriguing? What do you wanna know?
0: I wanna know what's changing and what options people are looking at that they didn't have before. And this might be a dumb example and I might be the only one, but uh, I just got a brand new tractor a couple years ago and I was like, I don't use the the three-point hitch. Anymore, you know, so why get that? You know, I got a PTO on it, didn't get the three-point. I know there's some larger planters that hook up that way, but I have uh, a pivot, a Case IH 2140 that pivots because it's a narrow row, 1632 row, Mm -hmm. and it has just a normal hitch, and so does my strip-till applicator, and so does my um, side-dress applicator, So does my grand cart. I mean, all these things. So I'm like, why spend that extra money for that option? But then, then you look and you think, well, what's the resale going to be on, you know, not having that? So that's where this would come in great just to know, you know, what options are what. And then when I was selling machinery and I talked kind of how John McRoberts was kind of on the cheap side, which was okay. But he would order tractors that were like plain Jane cabs. Like he didn't get all the leather, luxury, all that stuff. And we noticed that all the dealers around us, they would just order them in that way and just sell them. They were pretty much forcing the farmer into buying certain types or certain, you know, so, so that's, I guess, something I would I'd like to be able to search different options and, 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 you know, kind of get that part of it. I don't, uh, Andrew, I'm sure is completely different than me, but that's
1: me anyway. <laughs> I think it's important to look at different options on different pieces of equipment as well. I like to look at, you know, what I have and see what it's still worth. Hopefully it's still worth something when I'm looking at upgrading, maybe not right now, but in the future, and then kind of watch the trend of what list prices
2: are. I, mm-hmm. I mean, that's always important to me, I guess. Yeah. And that's something, I mean, just watching the trend of the, the current equipment that I've enjoyed with putting my stuff into tractor zoom, you know, my equipment list is, you know, you put it in there initially and, you know, here's your data point, here's your value. But I think it's every month or at least every quarter, it'll start to trend how much your equipment is worth. And so I was able to see, I think I did it back in 21 is when I put in most of our fleet. So it was super gratifying like right. 22, 23. Like I actually watched our fleet increase in value over time. Uh, now we're back to more of a normal depreciation. But so yeah, so that is within Tractor Zoom right now. And the options that people are looking for, Rick. Uh, one of the interesting things we've spent a lot of time trying to dice up planters because from a valuation standpoint, they're a beast. It's just yeah. what somebody's gonna pay for a planter, and then what somebody else wants to pay for your old planter, you know, something that you might have had precision on, certain like the downforce that you wanted or the row closing units it might not fit the person next door. I mean, Mm -hmm. whether it's preference whether it's research they've done or whether it's just soil types, what have you, it's so varied. So we rarely see planters really resell at what somebody wants for them or what they, you know, certainly not what they paid for them. Mm -hmm. But this gets in a little bit of what's coming next with TractorZoom is we have a uh, uh, data scientist, Hank, his name, he and I work close together, bright guy. And so he's built a language learning model uh, out of AI, and taught it to read through equipment descriptions and pull out all the the fine details. So every piece of you know precision that could be on a planter, transmission types, cabs, premium cabs, leather in the cab, all these types of things. You know, it does require somebody to actually say, you know, this is a premium cab with leather seats and whatever else. But it can pull that stuff out. And then once that's all organized and clean data, and that's kind of what we're all about on the clean data side, mm-hmm. is then you can start to run, you know, his smart regression models and everything else and say, Hey, this thing, this makes a difference. And, and what we did on planters even before we built the AI model was we started to look at, you know, the center fill liquid fertilizer, uh, drives, you know, the electric hydraulic gear driven, uh, Mm -hmm. ground drives and started to see what really matters when people are, are buying planters. And you know, the, the center fill makes a big difference. Um, but the liquid fertilizer actually didn't make nearly as much of a difference as what we thought it would. Uh, but the biggest difference by far was, and it, it wasn't always this way, but in, within the last two years, the electric drives that farmers have kind of realized because if you're going to have precision, you've got that electric drive in there. And if you're going to upgrade your row units, you got to have some kind of electric drive capability. And so that's one thing that we've started to see used to make a bit of a difference because you buy it for a premium, but that premium is starting to grow on planter capabilities right
0: now you know why that uh that liquid fertilizer doesn't matter as much is because it's never what the farmer wants so if he sees it on there chances are he probably doesn't want that system he's going to tear it off and put his own on there's so Uh, many yeah there's so many different ways and options that people want to do things nowadays and it seems like I'll be honest with you from, you know, Andrew and I are in the total acre program. So we, you know, hear this a lot and I know I bring up total acre a lot, but it, it's, it's been kind of farm changing for me. But, um, what, what companies come out with like the actual OEM companies isn't necessarily what the farmer wants. They're going aftermarket and that's why there's so many aftermarket companies out there for planter parts and stuff. So, um, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> Precision has, you know, formed relationships with other, you know, Case IH and different companies. And I, I, I just see more of that coming down the road. But that's that's what my first thought was when you said that, you know, fertilizer wasn't as big of an issue as you thought it would be. When, and that's probably why. Wouldn't you agree, Andrew?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so many different attachments, though, on planters, yeah. too. 'Cause they everybody wants to run something just a little bit different because this works here, or they read about it. I mean, there's so many companies that are doing aftermarket stuff for planners. It's it's gotta be tough, you know, from Tractor Zoom side to get them all detailed out. Because, you know, I'll read through a listing on a planner and it doesn't say half the crap that's on no, there. I don't
2: right. Yeah. It some dealerships will do it really well because they've got a like well written out process. Some other auctioneers will say Upgraded units, and then that's all there is. And then the pictures are you know only halfway decent, so yeah, it's really you know when you're looking at that standpoint, it's like bad day to end is no option out,
1: um, garbage in, garbage out, right? Yeah,
2: yep. And there's no such thing as field ready.
0: I'm sorry, I you mm-hmm. know, dealers will say, Oh, it's field ready, field. Well, what is what is field ready? Every farmer is different. I mean, to me, it would be full of fuel, everything would have been gone through with a fine tooth comb. I mean, just perfect. But the next guy just isn't care if it's full of fuel as long as the oil was changed. And, you know, is it leaking corn? I'm using a combine as an example. Is it leaking corn out the hopper? I mean, is it doing a good job? You know? So that was always a thing when I was selling machinery that we'd say field ready and then we quit using that terminology because it just, it didn't make sense. And then people would come back to you and say, well, you said it was field ready, but you know, this tire went flat or, or whatever, or something or the battery, I, you know, it was, it was just always something. And you just go down another rabbit hole of issues that you didn't want to warranty and you didn't plan on warranty. So,
2: right. Exactly. Yeah. That's, you gotta be very careful what you promise mm-hmm. because are, are different.
1: Mm-hmm. So how do you work with uh, auctioneers? We kind of mentioned it just a a minute ago at auction sites. How do auctioneers use TractorZoom to their benefit? And I guess.
2: Yeah, good question. Because we actually, I mean, auctioneers are how we started the business. We started reaching out to auctioneers, just individually calling them up and saying, hey, we have this opportunity for you to post for free on TractorZoom. And then we run the marketing. We run the SEO just to continually work to rank higher. You know, when people are searching Google for equipment.
0: What's the SEO?
2: uh, oh, search engine optimization. Essentially, how high up on Google you're going to pop up and oh, rank. Okay, cool. And, gotcha. Oh yeah, it's just it makes you know if somebody's not searching out your domain exactly, it makes all the difference in the world because you know, how many times do you go to the second page of Google? Yeah. Uh, no. Right. And so, uh, so anyways, that's something that we work on internally, and then we just tell them that hey, we'll post the stuff for you. But getting back to how we work with auctioneers, that we still go around to almost every auction conference, most states have like an auction convention. And then we'll go to that individually and build relationships with all the auctioneers. I think we're up to I think like 1,600 individual auction companies that we work uh, with right. on an individual basis. And so we make sure that you know, we take care of them just because that's how we started. And we are you know, just value that relationship. But then they'll send us the auction results once they're done. And so they'll send us the auction results, but we have human bodies that sit in Des Moines, our QA team, our quality assurance team, will sit there and take those auction results and look through them and then add those to our database. Just because, you know, sometimes an auction might be going fast or somebody else might fill it in and, and fat finger something or not completely fill out a description. So we take all that data and make sure it's in our database. And then what we do after that is our, our data scientists built a, it's kind of like an out of spec algorithm that looks at all the data coming in and says, Hey, you know, and this actually happens quite a bit, this 4440 sold for, you know, $20,000, but it's got 1000 hours on it. You know, first of all, should a 4440 only have a thousand hours on it? And then why did it sell for that cheap? If it's like a gem uh, like that. Mm -hmm. And then it'll recognize that that's not right and it'll flag it. And then essentially probably what happened is, you know, the odometer turned over and it's really 11,000 hours or something like that or some other instances, you know, might be a fat finger that somebody didn't catch, but it flags it. So then we can alert the auctioneer saying, Hey, the data's is wrong coming in. We'll fix it on our side. They fix it. Uh, and so we kind of have like a symbiotic relationship with them where again, we don't charge them anything unless they want to do like an advanced social post or, or something for our social media manager. And then we give them value back in return. And, uh, yeah, we work with them pretty closely just because, you know, from an auction standpoint, it's, uh, we think it's kind of the canary in the coal mine. If the market's going to turn, like you're going to see it first at an auction. You probably won't see it at all in a dealership just because they're a little bit slower to change their prices. But if farmers are feeling different or if they're feeling, you know, bad or good, they might bid one extra time or pull back you know, one less time. And when you aggregate that together, you can start to see the curve change.
0: Yeah. Uh, you're talking about, you know, you said something about dealers reporting information or whatever. Uh, so, how often is tractor zoom updated? And is it, I mean, is it real time? Is it monthly updates? Is it, you know, and is it still rely on updating from somebody at a dealership typing in what it sold for or, you know, how does that go?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Good question. And that's another reason why we started tractor zoom is because, you know, the, the old book that you used to get like iron guides or, or yep. whatever it uh, it was always like a dollar late, you know, uh, or a day late dollar short type of thing. There you go. And that's one of the things that we're hearing from the industry is like, I need this information, but it's always, I always have to factor in like this is last quarter, which is if I'm doing it a couple months from now, then it's, you know, six months late or even further than that. And so I need to know more media, like what's happening to the market. And so we update values every night and we'll go out and, you know, any auction that comes in, we'll ingest it. So during the busiest times of year, which tend to be August and December, you know, we might be a day late just with a huge backlog of working through all those auction data and getting it in the system, but pretty much all the rest of the time when the data comes in that day, we're uploading it into the system and it refreshes at midnight. And then from a dealer standpoint, one of our things with working with the dealer is, you know, it's free, but we also know your time's a premium too. So we don't want to have, you know, you don't want to have you go to a different website and start typing in all your stuff. So what we do is we just have direct API connections with their database that you know, whatever they use to post to their website, we'll try to connect directly to that. So it also post to our website. So if they make a change on their pricing, then it's changed on our site at midnight that night as well. Or if it removes from their site and we go and pull from their site, then it's removed from our site that next night. Okay. And so, yeah, sometimes with different dealers, it might run like a homegrown type of system. Uh, we have to build our own like, algorithm, our own uh, code, to go scrub their site. And so every once in a while, we have to work with them on making sure that it works correctly and getting everything updated. But uh, yeah, so we'll work with dealers individually so they don't have to go in and, and do any manual work after the fact.
1: Okay, nice. Yeah, very nice. Do you see Tractor Zoom adding any other assets or spectrums to the ag machinery world?
2: Done. So yeah, so this gets into a little bit of the AI piece. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, just last was it last month, maybe two months ago, December, we acquired a company out of Minneapolis and, uh, and it was kind of big news for us. I mean, it, it grew our company size drastically, but historically, you know, we were auction values and then we were dealer values and then now supply. And then with this acquisition of company, they're a CRM company. And so they do customer relationship management software, essentially taking a dealership's customer base. And then intertwining that with their inventory system, their business system, their parts and service system and kind of bringing it all together into one usable platform. So you're not you know, using one screen for one thing and then trying to figure out something else on another and they're not talking back and forth. So this brings like everything together. And so that's the company we acquired. Our valuation data feeds it. So our inventory information helps feed it so they can make decisions based on that. And in this regard, now we can help dealers in marketing sales, uh, parts and service, their whole operation. So from the time that a farmer orders something to the time they get it delivered and pay it on the invoice, we can kind of help them through that whole process. So the farmer gets their equipment faster. Uh, so the invoice is correct. Um, and all that information isn't lost and then they can also track it too. So when they, when they send you a particular tractor, they don't have a different salesman reaching out to you at a different time, trying to sell you something that you don't care about. They, they hopefully using the system should know all that information.
0: Okay, yeah. I just remembered the question I forgot earlier. And it goes back to I, I think it's very interesting how and I how often you get contacted by others. I, I didn't I didn't think of that as you guys being um a a voice for questioning. I mean I, I assume you just have a website and you can go get your questions answered there, but you have bankers, you have uh, credit services, you got People calling you daily and asking you these mm-hmm. questions, getting a quicker, better answer. So that that's also a, a, very, a big plus to Tractor Zoom, I think.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it helps having the immediate data that's updated, and we try to create on our platform. You know, we've got search so far or dealers. You know, some auctioneers, lenders, uh, they all can go in there and search for equipment so they can find their comparables faster. For the lenders, we built out like an equipment list so they can keep all their farmers. Uh, equipment list in there. And so they can provide their farmers like instant valuations on their entire fleet helps them with, you know, chattel appraisals and, and uh, renewing loans for the dealer side. Yeah. We have an inventory management system and we also have an appraisal system too. So they can go out into the field and just with their phone, they can go out and look at your piece of equipment. If you want to sell to them and they take all the appropriate pictures, take all the necessary notes on, you know, the tires, transmission usage, all this information and it feeds directly into their system. So the used equipment manager then can do that appraisal really before the guy ever leaves your farm. Uh, mm-hmm. And then that way you're not waiting like a week to hear back like what you're be offered for your tractor. You could potentially be there within an hour and say, Hey, our guy back at the office thinks we can offer you about this much. And you can kind of continue to have that relationship and not be stuck out in limbo. Uh, so that gets to, you know, another, Thing that we offer, but another thing, we just developed it this summer. Uh and it's being used in Iowa in the kind of the whole Midwest through a couple different dealerships. Uh so yeah, that's something new that we've developed, but a different way that we're kind of helping the farmer. Um, and then there's the whole AI piece too. Uh so I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but yeah, pulling in and building a language learning model that goes and reads all the stuff about equipment, categorizes it, uh, it's it's a pretty powerful tool once it builds that database, which it's doing right now. For us. We can look at it and it just finished up with compacts and subcompact tractors It's working on combines. Now I wanted to do headers next. Uh, we've got a lot of people interested in how the header market is changing. Oh yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's just a, an idea of a couple of things that's, that's ahead.
1: Okay. So you mentioned market changing. Let's get, let's get your analysis on what you're finding. Let's talk about tractors mm-hmm. over, 300 horse on the case side and the John Deere side. What are you seeing out in the marketplace?
2: Yeah. So the over 300 horse, I actually just gave one webinar to lenders earlier this week and then talked to an an investment group yesterday. And I focused in on, on some row crop tractors that are 300 to about 425 horse. Um, And kind of some of the Magnum series and the John Deere 8Rs, they're behaving similar right now to where, you know, 21, 22 values were stupid high. Uh, 23, even though we saw a pullback in projected net farm income, I kind of expected them to soften a little bit, but they didn't. I think there's still the idea that equipment was scarce last year. Farmers had enough profitability that they chased some pretty good auction deals even into December. And so they stayed pretty strong all the way through about the end of the year. Now, what we're seeing is certain hour ranges of those tractors are strong. So if you're less than about 1,500 hours, roughly. Those values that we've seen so far in 24, we saw a handful of sales in January, saw some good auctions late January and the first weekend in February here. Those were above trend line for last year. So we're actually seeing a few of those go for stronger than what almost anybody would have anticipated. But once you get north of about 2,000, certainly in 3,000 plus hours, we're starting to see those values drop off. And what I think is happening, this is a little bit of me seeing data points and trying to create a story around it is, you know, farmers benefited from the last couple of years differently, right? Some people really banked and some other people did well and some other people did okay. But I think, you know, if you're searching for that lower, those older tractors, those higher hour tractors, I think those people are a little more price conscious and they're not willing to chase a high price right now because we're seeing all those values drop below trend line. And so those are the value of tractors and those age of tractors that I'm seeing kind of weaken right now, and then on top of that, the eight uh, R's in the Midwest from a John Deere standpoint, too many. Of them. It's it's kind of a problem child. Uh, it's been a problem child for a little while, and they're trying to to move through those and find the right kind of homes for them because it they got overproduced a little bit. Uh, and it's just it's too many.
1: Okay. Well, thank you for that. What about combines? I always heard that they're kind of a leading indicator on the ag market what do you are you on the series seven series eight series nine?
2: Yeah. So series eight are the, probably the worst beast that's out there just because there's just as many, if not a little bit more of the series eight, the class eights that are out there. Uh, but they're worth a whole lot more. So whoever's holding them, especially if it's a dealership, they got to pay that much more interest just to hold them. And so they're, they're more risky. And because of that, we're seeing their values drop now faster than the class sevens. Uh, Class nines, tens, they are dropping, but they're kind of a different beast right now. Yeah, it's that class eight that's probably dropping the most. Uh, And again, I would have expected them to really drop hard in December, and they didn't, uh, especially for the low hours. They're kind of acting like tractors. Low hour ones, if people wanted them, they paid for them. It's the higher hour stuff that got a little bit softer and started to fall down. But now, again, it's not great combine selling season, so you don't get a lot of auction results churning in now. March, we'll get a few more. But we'll start to see, I think, the the Class 8 combines start to to soften quite a bit at auction here. Uh, class 7s, a little bit, just not quite as much. There's not as much supply out there, not as much risk. The big kicker with your 9s and your 10s is who is that second buyer? Yeah. You got, I mean, somebody's going to pay for that first one. They already bought it, or maybe they leased it. But then who wants to buy, who can buy that trade-in? Uh, you just have, kind of have to look at the forage market, cotton picker market like that. It's the same thing. You've got some big time operators that can buy that. They have big enough sheds for it. They have all the trucks for it. They they can fit that operation. But for somebody to take that as the next trade-in, they still need those all those trucks. They need all those drivers. They need a shed that they can back that thing into. Uh, I don't know how you're going to find all these buyers for it. And so my guess on those, we've seen the, the values come down a little bit, but I think it's more because they're running out of buyers quick. And so... I wouldn't be surprised if they take a lot of those things and um, ship them off. I think if they go to China uh, or, or somewhere, because it's, I think they're going to kind of just sit in the market and nobody's going to want them.
0: Yeah. They might get pushed off of a, a ship on the way to China too. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you never know. <laughs> that load So they can go through the Panama Canal. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, that's something my dad has talked about, you know, for the last, 10 or 15 years, once, especially combines uh, or harvesters, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call them. But um, the bigger they get and, you know, you still have, there's still a lot of farmers out there that only farm, I shouldn't say only, but they're hobby farmers or whatever that have 300 to 600, 700 acres. I don't know what you'd consider a hobby farmer, but that size of a, a farmer, he's either going to, share equipment with a, a friend or neighbor or family member, or he's going to have to hire it done because to buy or, or other, otherwise the class eights and all these combines we have a ton of are, are going to have to come way down because they can't afford to, to pay that price. And then you think the, these large scale farmers and I'm talking like the 20,000 acre guys that have multiple combines, when, when did they get to the point where they're like, you know, let's repair what we have. And it doesn't seem like they'll ever be that way. Cause they just kind of, like you said, use them and trade them in. Cause the dealer allows them to essentially, I mean, right. Yeah. I, is, is it the dealers is the dealer we have to blame right
2: now for some of nah, these issues? It's, I mean, the, the dealer is who we see to blame. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, it's a market share growth type of business model and the dealer is highly incentivized to sell new cause it grows their market share. But that incentivization that incentivization, if that's even a word that comes from agree. the producer okay. uh, and so it's the manufacturer that's giving them an the incentive to sell new uh, cause that's what's turning the profit for them. But then it's really for the dealer to try to figure out like who's going to take that new and then who's going to take those trade ins. And so, the dealer really has a challenging job there to try to figure out how to continue to, to win market share and, and grow, uh, but deal with taking that trade in, paying the holding costs. They have to really be incredibly efficient with that and strategic on how they move pieces of machinery around because, yeah, that's kind of how they're incentivized. I heard the other day from a, a dealer, I think they're down in Texas, but I, I mean, I was at a conference and listening to them and their salespeople get 0% commission on a new combine, like half a million dollar combine. They don't get any kind of commission whatsoever. They're still incentivized that they have to sell it, but it's really once those combines get to the second, third or, or fourth trade trade-in that they actually start to get commission. And that's where they want to incentivize. Cause that's where they get stuck and in order to move it. And so yeah, dealerships make extremely little money on a brand new combine. Um, and, and it's tough.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, that that's a smart move by the the company owners of those dealerships to do that. That nothing wrong with that, and that makes you think twice about you know making making that trade and then forward selling it before mm-hmm. you you take it. I mean that that's a big part of it.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the the company that we just bought, and that's kind of one of our big initiatives too, is to help dealers try to think this through strategically instead of just taking on the trade ins and then holding them on their lot and then trying to figure the the problem out. You got to figure it out like two to three steps ahead uh, in order to try to avoid that a little bit, especially with 7% interest rate. I mean, we feel it as farmers on one side of it, they feel it for holding equipment and then getting to your early question about the really big time operators, if they're still going to trade equipment like every single year and just kind of churn it, I, I think they probably will for a little while. Uh, and I talked to one that was, um, he, it's a, his family farm uh, out in Indiana and Illinois, but they were a 40,000 acre uh, operation. And he was talking about, he used to manage their equipment. And he said, the last few years I made money. He's like, I would trade in equipment every single year. And it was a revenue stream for our business of selling one year old equipment for more than what I bought it for. Yep. And now he's, he's trying to do it again. He's like, it's not working. He's like, no. how am I not making money on this? And I had to explain to him like, this is real. Then was, you know, fairyland type of stuff that that doesn't normally happen. Mm-hmm. And so I think once the, even those bigger operations, I mean, they're looking at ROI, they've got books and they're they're strategizing over the numbers that I realize here too, that maybe we can hire a mechanic and maybe we can get this stuff for another year. Cause it's that first year with the depreciation that it's the steepest. Uh, second year is also steep and not as steep. And then it continues to flatten out. But, uh, yeah, it's, that's a big price to pay for that, but they do get decent deals. uh, If you're buying in mass, like if you're buying, you know, 10, 20, 30 machines new every year, Mm -hmm. you can get some price discounts. (laughs) Yeah. Wow.
0: Well, this has been a great discussion. I mean, I know we had a few scripted questions, but it really got into some more. So we definitely appreciate all the information and do you have any more questions for us?
2: Uh, I mean, one of the things that we're excited to do is, you know, we've got this, you know, the tractorzoom.com side of our business for farmers. We're always looking for more ideas to just make that buying process, or even the the management of equipment on a farm, better. Uh, because we know that, you know, land is obviously growing in cost, but as a percent of the balance sheet, some of that machinery is starting to creep up quite a bit, especially the last couple of years. Uh, as a bigger share of farmers' balance sheets, it's presenting more risk for the farmer. And so, you know, we're looking just for more and more ways in which, you know, we can help the farmer out, whether it's tracking the equipment, whether it's finding better equipment, different equipment uh, or anything, you never know what you can potentially help with. So uh, I'd say that's just one question we have is it's open-ended for sure, but we're always open ears for what is it that we can do to help out?
0: One, one thing, you know, when you, when you put in that equipment list that you have of, you know, like, say, I put in all my equipment. I don't know if this would be a good idea or not, but maybe put in, a, like, a maintenance sheet or or even have where you guys can, like, pre-populate some of the filter numbers or something. You know, I mean, we can go into our dealership and find this out easily. They can look it up, but maybe right. have it, like, you know, the air filter is this number if you buy OEM, and then... I put in the hours when it was changed or whatever, and, you know, maybe just a schedule of of that. A service and, record, yeah, service record, and then maybe I I get it. There's people out there could easily fudge that, but maybe that's something else that gets you a little bit higher you know, money for your trade in or whatever, or maybe even have download the PDF of the service record from the dealership and what it costs and save some of this stuff kind of in a, in a little file. So, and I mean, I'll take all royalties from this. Um, I'm trademarking it right now. Everybody heard it. The whole five people will probably have listened to this podcast, but
2: <laughs> well, considering that track to zoom for farmers is completely free. I'll give you 50%. Oh, you okay. Go.
0: Perfect. I, yes. a, half of a hat and half of a t-shirt would be great. Got that.
2: Yes.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. thank you, Andy, for, for being on the podcast and it was great. I uh, appreciate it. it. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Thank you both for having me. And, yep. and Rick, I've got to mention like, you know, ending where we began, you know, mentioned, you know, playing football in the park and jail cell and stuff. My mom, last time I was home, she came down she's always clean out the attic and just throwing crap our way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so anyway, she gave me a folder full of old like news clippings uh-huh. and papers. And so one of the pictures is a picture of me on the operating room, the ER table getting stitched up right there i look like i look like i lost a lot of blood and then uh the other clipping uh, there's no way this is going to actually come in here but uh this is That's uh, basketball our seventh grade basketball uh tournaments that we're in and yep, yep we're in there and i am tiny
0: yeah uh, do i look do i look like a a very large specimen compared to everybody yeah. else I, uh, yeah, you, you're a beast yeah <laughs> I've told I told Andrew I quit growing when I was in eighth grade and then yeah. all, you and uh, uh, Justin another friend of ours yeah. you know just shot up past me like crazy and then I, I I was lucky that I I did get um some coordination early on mm-hmm. and you guys got it later but you guys like <laughs> you <laughs> excelled and I just kind of stayed at a plateau I just oh it's good enough for me.
2: <laughs> yeah, I knew I was tiny, but then I looked at that picture. I'm like, oh, oh dear God! <laughs> yeah, Andy went. Andy went
0: from like a complete tiny, skinny dude, and now he's like a cover model for Men's Health. I tell that to my wife every time he comes to church. He comes walking in. He's all tan. His head's freshly shaved. You know, he's all like muscular looking. I'm like, yep, oh, the Men's Health cover model. He was in church today. You know. He does. He takes great care of himself and I I wish I was doing the same, but no, you look good, Andy. And like I said, we it's good seeing you, good talking to you. I'm sure we'll we'll talk soon and it was great having you on here. So Yeah, I really
2: appreciate it. This was a ton of fun.
0: Yeah, good. I'm glad it was. Make sure well, you did say you were giving up X for Lent, so might not be able to say much on there for us, but that's okay. Maybe we'll release it in about forty days and then you can start (laughs) commenting. (laughs)
2: Yeah, you let me know when it's released, and I'll maybe make that Lenten exception at some point to just go in there and repost it. And yeah, go on on, on a Sunday.
0: I think you get Sundays isn't a Lent, so right, perfect.
2: That, yeah. Completely like wrong
0: for yeah
2: for the like <laughs> exception at least. But
0: whatever. yeah, uh, I know. No, this was great. It was a lot of fun, and yeah, we'll we'll let you go now. So take care. Tell Tracy and your kids mm-hmm. hello, and yeah, we'll see you I'll next do. time. Okay. okay. Great. Right. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Yep. See you, Andy.